Hello, and welcome to this sort of afterlife edition of The Saucer Life, where we're looking at some comments and reactions to our recent episode on the Stargate conspiracy. A little later on, well, very little later on, we'll have Samantha here to share her thoughts about it, since she was here uh, sharing her thoughts about the Nine. And um, yeah, so uh, Lester emails and asks if there is any overlap between the Nine and Madame Blavatsky's Mahatmas. Madame Blavatsky, of course, the uh, you know, a key figure in the uh, Theosophical movement. I'm not sure of absolute direct overlap in the sense of Puharic and the others sort of you know thumbing through copies of old books and saying, "Look, look, let's let's pretend we're channeling these folks," um, because that assumes they were they were pretending. But as far as a group of of high godlike or even divine overseers sort of guiding humanity through chosen people that they uh, that they convey through whom they convey messages i think i think the nine definitely fits into the same the same sort of family as the mahatmas and ascended masters and um, sort of Alien figures that contactees have dealt with, such as Ashtar and his uh, his motley band of um, you know, militaristic planetary guardians, who, many of whom shared names that were the same or similar to uh, ascended master figures in in earlier sort of esoteric traditions. So I think there's definitely a thread to be drawn there. Okay, turning to Twitter, Black Wolf on Twitter says, Hyperdimensional physics at 19.5 degrees. If you do a hoagie episode, please do something about his trip to Mexico where he walked around a Mayan pyramid with an Accutron watch hooked up to a laptop. I'm not familiar with that particular Hoagland story, but I love it. Hoagland is one of those characters who is fascinating for all sorts of reasons, not least of which is his longevity. He um, is around for a very, very, very long time. But he's one of those guys that I find interesting, or no, that I don't find interesting, that I find important and significant. Can't deny that. Can't deny his his role in some of these ideas. But man, listening to his interviews on old Coast to Coast episodes, the most entertaining thing about them is how irritated and or bored art would sound sometimes and art never sounded bored art was the consummate radio host who you know he could have one of the worst guests ever on and and he would try to find a way to make the audience convinced they should be excited and he usually did that by by being excited or interested himself but sometimes he would just be like richard can we get to the point of whatever i think my favorite hoagland appearance on coast to coast am was i think it was 96 and he was reporting on the the protest the demonstration the informational session they they held in what certainly sounded like a nasa parking lot um which you know sort of handing out flyers and having signs to to make sure the nasa employees knew what nasa was was up to and and what was going on and uh, they were they were in florida and um you know it, it just sort of sounds 
like he was making it sound much grander than it actually was and and he was speaking at the local community college that evening and 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 there were people who had taken the Amtrak all the way from uh New England down to Florida to to hear Richard Hoagland speak at at um I was going to say Cape Canaveral Community College but I don't think that's a thing. I'm not denigrating Richard Hoagland speaking at a community college. That's um that that's awesome. I I'm, I'm a community college man and um, I, I, I love it. And uh, although if, if my own institution were to have Richard Hoagland um, up here to speak, I, I might, I might have a quiet word with somebody and say, yeah, really him. Um, but yeah, yeah. Richard Hoagland. And uh, finally from Twitter, Scott says so much of the Stargate conspiracy is based on the authors being unable to imagine that people could believe obviously untrue things without there being a larger reason for it dot 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 looks around size yeah um that's a good point about the stargate conspiracy like i said in the episode itself i liked the book i think it was a very well done conspiracy book the authors obviously know how to write and they're british so their use of language is better i think sometimes than you get from um american writers of things in english self-included but yeah there's a sense that you know there must be something going on because why else would people be promoting these strange ideas about egypt that some of which have been you know pretty roundly disproven why would people be paying attention to the nine well people believe and do and promote all kinds of crazy stuff for a variety of reasons, not just necessarily because they believe it, especially if there's money to be made. Um, it's not a UFO thing, so I won't drop in my Jane Pauley um, unlimited financial opportunity soundbite. But yeah, I think there's there's definitely something to be said for, you know, people can promote ideas they don't necessarily believe in, necessarily rather believe in, if there's... Um, something material in it for them. And I, I was going to say, I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing. I, I'm saying that's kind of a bad thing. I, I think that's a little disingenuous. Um, but yeah, I, I think that is kind of a blind spot that the authors had in the Stargate conspiracy, Scott. And yeah, looking around, sighing at uh, some of the directions in which conspiracy culture continues to go and UFO culture continues to go. And the increasingly troubling overlap between some of those things. Thanks for writing in and your comments. There was one comment on the most recent episode about, um, well, not the most recent episode, the episode two episodes back, my Point Pleasant interlude episode with my encounter with the Phantom Cadillac. And it's it's too long to read here, but if you go to saucerlife.com to the Point Pleasant interlude episode, there's a, a very long comment that uh, essentially makes the point that uh, I, I really should probably not be so quick to dismiss the possibility that something strange did happen to me. Um, because if something strange and bizarre did happen to me, how could I necessarily account for missing time and and things like that? Maybe. I'm not discounting that something strange and sinister might have happened. I am fairly certain that it did not, uh, based on you know the fact that if, if you look at a map of, of that 
of that road. There are, as one emailer pointed out, there's lots of places to turn off on that road where, where people will never, uh, where, where you will never see people. And, you know, sometimes people drive their big rear wheel drive Cadillacs a lot more quickly than they should for the conditions. I'm not discounting that something strange and or phenomenological did happen to me. I said phenomenological in in one take and again there. So I'm proud of myself for that. But um, I don't know. My instinct, uh, my instinct on reflection is that, you know, I, I, I don't think anything sinister happened. Maybe something strange happened, but possibly not. But uh, uh, thanks for the, the, the comments and, and, and support and, and not and out there in, uh, in, in the Internet for, for not utterly dismissing uh, my, uh, my, my, my story outright. And uh, thank you also to the, the Twitter user who tried to get hashtag believe Gullius trending. Didn't work out, but uh, I appreciate the effort. And now, speaking of appreciating the effort, Samantha listened to the Stargate conspiracy episode and has some uh, has some some comments and questions, I believe. So um, we appreciate people listening to these episodes, especially when they're asked to report back. And uh, let's head to that now. We are here with Samantha to see what her thoughts and ideas and feelings and hopes and dreams about the Stargate conspiracy are. Um, a, a weird episode. We, we sort of just looked at a book, but sometimes we do that. Samantha, welcome back. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So what do you think? Hit me with your, your thoughts about the Stargate conspiracy. Um, well, I'm really hung up on this idea that the ancient gods were aliens. <laughs> That's okay. like... That's where I, you know, thought a lot, um, having been a religious studies minor and a kid who was always interested in mythology. That's what I found most interesting. Um, and so I wondered, uh, do we ever get a sense of what these alien gods looked like? <laughs> I think, you know, just the impression I get is that they kind of looked however they needed to look mm -hmm. to sort of make sense to whoever they were talking to, right? Gotcha. So they manifest in different ways, or sometimes they just manifest through somebody, like a priest figure or somebody mm -hmm. in the temple, or somebody in New York at a group where a bunch of psychics are hanging <laughs> out, right? So it's, right. it's all sort of sort of that uh, that same that same spectrum. I have a question for you, just because mm -hmm. I'm curious, because sometimes when I sort of, you know, I don't want to say grow up with this stuff, but from the age of like 19, grow up <laughs> with this stuff. Uh, sometimes I, I, I don't really, I'm not really clued in on, on what people know who weren't listening to, you know, late night talk radio throughout the 1990s, which <laughs> I... I don't. I don't think you were. No, um, no. I, nobody I know in real life was. A lot of people I know on the internet were, but yeah. uh, most of my real life friends were not. Um, had you heard of the face on Mars? Were, were you aware of that? Yes, yes, I was. I I okay. knew about that. Um, I didn't know about you know fitting it into like this, but I knew that. I don't know much about it, but yes, I had heard heard it on probably like something weird like Entertainment Tonight or something. <laughs> it it showed up in various places, and every time it did, 
um, Richard Hoagland, the big face on Mars guy, would go on Art Bell's show and say, Art, this is proof that we are, you know, a- approaching where everybody's going to to know about this and uh, and believe in it. So, okay, that, that's interesting because I, I really only knew about it through old interviews that uh, this Hoagland guy did on, uh, on on various things. So, we've got these aliens as gods, right? And you're interested in that. And that's that's very cool. <laughs> What did you think about this? Is turning into me asking you questions? Yeah, I, 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 don't, know, I don't like I, this. I'm okay, not okay. feeling well. I don't know what I'll know. <laughs> so okay, um, okay, you go, go ahead. With your, <laughs> no, with no, your, keep going now. I just, I just wanted to know what you thought about the um, the conspiracy angle they had with um, you know this, you know whether or not this theory is real. These gods as returning these aliens as returning gods or gods as returning aliens is real that it's being the mythology is being manipulated by shadowy forces for reasons we can't comprehend yeah well that's probably what the lizard men are for right well yeah (laughs) um no but i thought i thought that was i don't know it's weird unsettling um super (laughs) far-fetched um nothing that i'm actually worried about because i believe in carbon dating and things like that um but it's it's interesting i guess and i didn't realize when i started listening to it that these folks were big um uh you know royal blood um Uh, you know, Da Vinci Code people because I totally went through a big Da Vinci Code phase when I was like seventeen. I mean, what? what teenager yeah, you, you, did. yeah. It's it's a lot of people did. I <laughs> yeah. I did not. I've never read the Da Vinci Code, nor have oh. I seen the movie. Um, huh. The Saucer Wife was was sort of a, bi- a big Da Vinci Code person. Yeah. Um, back in the day. Uh, and Tom now, Hanks. He's my Hollywood husband. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this idea it is kind of unsettling. I think the conspiratorial idea is is kind of creepy because. We sort of see how people can be manipulated mm-hmm. by these ideas pretty easily, and and we we laughed about the lizard men, but there was that story in the news a few weeks ago of the uh, the dad who killed his kids with like a spear gun, and one of the reasons was he thought they had reptilian DNA. What I did like, not yeah. hear about this. Oh, oh my goodness, yes. So oh, so he was Googling he was like later. all in on the uh, the Sherry Shriner oh. lizard David Ike lizard people thing. Oh. So. Back to your questions and comments. Um, I'm sorry. So, no, no. So, a sort of question to go along with that then, and I'm sorry if I'm, I'm on this too much, but, I mean, they focus a lot, of course, on these ancient gods in Egypt, right? Like that sort mm-hmm. of the the focal point. But um, were, were, was it the same group of aliens then who were like the Norse gods and... Native American gods or um, or oh. or I mean, is this like them appearing as they need to to different cultures or and if not, then how do you explain like Norse gods like, oh, these Egyptian gods were the aliens making the great stuff. But Norse culture, you're not great enough. <laughs> like, I, I just wonder, you, like, that's that's a good question. Um, I think I think there are different sort of esoteric schools of thought that that sort of you know bring in different pantheons uh. i know that um some of the the theosophical stuff is is much more focused on um on um sort of the south asian uh vedic and later mm. hindu mm-hmm. gods um and and you know then they they sort of move up to tibet where you know the great white brotherhood mm. hangs out um but uh 
sort of my gut feeling is that anything involving the Norse gods, you know, it, it t- tends to, you know, sort of attract Nazis. So, <laughs> um, so there's probably a strand of that, but, yeah. um, yeah, get on a FBI watch list. Another one. <laughs> um, if I if I start looking into that, but that is a, a good a good question. Listeners might have uh, out there might have some some deeper insight, uh, some deeper insight mm-hmm. into um, into that. Yeah. All right. Um, so moving on, uh, Edgar Casey. Uh, these people are all yeah. about the sleeping prophet Edgar Casey. Um, and strangely enough, right? <laughs> and I don't know tons about Edgar Casey, but I knew, you know, he he had these theories about Atlantis and stuff. I know more about his, you know, like going into the sleeps to to heal, you know, and yeah. and absorbing books and materials while he's asleep and stuff like that. But. Um, yeah, I want. I mean, wh- how did they latch on to him? I guess I think it's his Atlantis stuff. Okay, yeah. Um, I, I think because he wrote a whole book about Atlantis stuff, and his Atlantis stories. You know, I think I think I said this in the episode. You know, the the overlap with the stuff from the nine mm-hmm. about Atlantis is. You know, if you're being very very credulous, you say, "Oh my gosh, this is confirmation of what Casey said about Atlantis." Or if you're very cynical, you say. Oh, they ripped off what right. Casey said about Atlantis, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I think I think they're sort of looking at Casey's Egypt and Atlantis stuff. And uh, what I thought was interesting, and I don't entirely buy their conspiracy theory, um, or at least I don't buy that the conspiracy is as big and threatening as they thought it was. Mm. I, I think there probably are rich, powerful people who would like to manipulate the populace through mm-hmm. various kinds of of means, but the sort of investment of money and time by Casey's or I'm gesturing with my pen if you can't see me um, of Casey's organization with the people who are doing the the new Egyptology stuff um, sort of you know the Casey people trying to find a way to prove Casey's predictions about where like the hall of records are mm. and I, I have to admit I mean I teach world history and Egypt is like my complete weak point is oh. my, my brain is just <laughs> Egypt is just sort of a fog. I need to sort of, I need to sort of lean on on uh, and and in your textbook you'll read more about Egypt in in class. Now let's get to China, um, which see, is see I know nothing about China, but I know about Egypt in part because I was obsessed with the Mummy. I was obsessed with various movies and phases apparently, but the Mummy was a phase I had at about thirteen. Kind of obsessive, yeah, um, yeah. The Mummy, um, yeah, the Mummy. Brendan Fraser, and, man. Brendan Fraser, yeah, he was, he was a thing for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, was he in the Librarian? No, that was um, the guy from ER. Maybe. Oh, I don't. What, I, don't I don't know. know. Oh, oh, um, that that show that was a yeah. show, right? Yeah, yeah I, I think I think so. I get shows and movies <laughs> confused nowadays because I think they had a s- similar aesthetic, perhaps. Yeah. So yeah, it was all sort of that 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 mood of the um the, the sort of we need to redo Indiana Jones but make yes. it less good, um, <laughs> that, that sort of thing. All right. Other okay. Thoughts. Yeah. Um. So I have, unless you have other questions for me, no. um, I have, okay. um, I have one sort of, I guess, wrap up question then. Yeah. Um, and that is, what do you think the history channel would be like if actual historians were in charge? Oh, it would. Okay. It would be <laughs> too nuanced 
to work on television and the discovery networks would very quickly rebrand the history channel as you know yet another home makeover show channel <laughs> because oh you know what you know what if actual academic historians ran the history channel you know what it would be like Hmm. Those C-SPAN roundtables where they have a bunch Ooh. of authors on talking about a book. Ugh. That's probably what it would end up being. You, because you know, I, though, if public historians ran the History Channel, it would be awesome. You know, if we could get some public <laughs> history types to uh, to team up with some TV production types. Um, <laughs> yeah. Ooh, ooh. If my buddy Paul Kimball is out there listening up in, uh, up in Nova Scotia, I know you're doing things with museums on a TV show up there. So if you want to just take over a whole network... Um, yeah, let's all let's all talk. And but, hint, hint, I'm a public historian. She's a public historian, folks. <laughs> so she's um, willing to, to to talk about history in front of people who, um, <laughs> I guess, are there. So um, yeah, I, I think I think if real historians ran the history, academic historians ran the History Channel, it would be, you know, kind of dull, kind of like reading an academic monograph. Is mm. this is an interesting topic made? uninteresting mm. because you have to go into a level of detail and documentation that kind of can bog down unless you're a really good writer mm. and some academic historians are really good writers and the ones who are tend to leave behind purely academic writing i'm thinking somebody like joel lapore um who I, I think the first thing i read by joel lapore was the journal article that was from her dissertation that later became her book about king philip's war and uh, john sassaman and the fatal consequences of literacy and it it was you know pretty heady stuff and then you know i think the most recent book of hers i have is the secret history of wonder woman it's it's a very sort of oh. sort of pop history yeah. about um the guy who created wonder woman and that whole thing so um academic historians who can write really well end up getting columns and you know New York Magazine and New Yorker and, and, and things like that, and and then they they learn how to craft things for a for a broader audience, which is which is something I'm working on, um, unsuccessfully sometimes um, striking <laughs> that balance between this is my heavily footnoted dissertation on this topic, and let me tell you a cool story about people who believe in lizard men. Um, you know, it, it's hard to hard to thread that needle sometimes. That's a long winded answer to. Um, <laughs> Actually, a pretty broad, open-ended question. So that it was, uh, yes, so it was meant. It was sense. meant to be fun. Um, yes, because I, I dream of my childhood when the History Channel actually had some decent things on it. <laughs> it did, you know, years ago. It it really did, and then it became the World War II Channel, and yeah. then it became just the Nazis part of World War II Channel, and, and then, then it the Masons, the Masons, yeah, the Freemason Nazi UFO, yeah, channel, which are all connected uh, well if we look at the stargate conspiracy the, the yes. masonic the masonic angle and the the alien angle it's it's all right there and that's been in um in the conspiracy literature for a long time especially the, mm -hmm. the masonic stuff so even beyond the sort of early american anti-masonic party mm -hmm. things like that but uh, um, so yeah. i had another thought that was yeah. more a thought and less of a, a question but well maybe it's a question We'll see. Um, so uh, I find it interesting because the one thing that, of course, really bothered me about all this was the like, ah, forget that carbon dating. The Sphinx is actually way older and, you know, all, all of that kind mm -hmm. of stuff and how that's yet another conspiracy theory because we've seen a lot of these recently that um, 
invite people to ignore the learned people in their fields, <laughs> um, yeah. disregard science and and that kind of thing. And um, I guess there is no question, but thoughts. <laughs> I, I think there is, um, I, I think there's a danger in ascribing total power and perfection to experts, but there's also a danger in completely ignoring them. Um, and you know, it's it's one of those things. The last the last year and a half or so, mm-hmm. we've seen this this wave of of um, you know, politicized uh, either politicized skepticism of experts or politicized you know acceptance of experts. Follow the science. Well, which science? Um, there's there's epidemiology. There's also psychology. There's also child development. These are complex questions, and lots of experts mm-hmm. need to weigh in. Um, mm-hmm. But things become very contentious and and politicized. And I, I think it's, it's important to remember that if you don't know anything about something, it's not necessarily relying on, on the, the work and study and expertise of people who know about these things and are acknowledged by lots of people who know mm-hmm. things to know about these things. It doesn't mean you're a sheep and doesn't mean <laughs> that, that you're, you're just, you know, part of the, part of the problem um yeah it's uh it's an issue it's been an issue uh, it's been an issue for a while um i don't know yeah it, it, it's it's an issue that's launched thousands of social media memes and <laughs> right things things like that but yeah i i mean you, you see it in i, I don't, I don't want to say benign ways with things like you know the the age of the sphinx because you know you, this is a, a, you know, an erosion of confidence in in mm-hmm. expertise and, and science and and things like that and i'm always uncomfortable talking about it because i'm not a science guy and mm-hmm. i don't i don't know enough about the science and i don't really know enough about archaeology as a field of study to successfully debate somebody who's watched 72 hours of you know, history channel in the last 90 hours, you know, <laughs> whose, whose head is full of sound bites of things they've, they've heard on TV or run on the internet. And because, yeah, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a problem. It's mm-hmm. a problem. So we've kind of wrapped up the nine here and, uh, mm-hmm. sort of, sort of two episodes, sort of nine focused or nine focused and then nine, adjacent i think uh, it was a good idea not to just sort of delve into the stargate conspiracy as part of the episode in the nine i, I think it worked better as uh, as its own thing but we will be back next time uh, as i said before this interview started with a contactee story from south africa which is fun uh and it's a weird one folks and then uh, the saucer wife will be back um making her much awaited uh, return to the show because uh, Samantha and I are going to be doing something else very soon. And um, you, if if you follow us on uh, Saucer Life on social media, you've seen hints of that. And um, you all will be getting a sneak preview of um, our first look at what we're going to be doing next here with Chizo Records alongside the Saucer Life uh, over the weekend. You'll be getting a sneak preview that other people won't. <laughs> so or won't yet. So. Um, that's fun. So we will return here at the Saucer Life with UFO contact from Planet Kaldas, including a recording of the alien voice themselves. Ooh. That's yeah, that's a real thing, folks. Um, apparently, it was like one of those little remember those little flex. You, 
you probably don't remember, Sam, but used to be able to get records that came like packaged with books that were little like super flexible, sort of cheap records. Oh, and they, they sounded terrible and, and they were bad, but, um, listeners of a certain age will remember the little <laughs> flexi disc. I barely remember them. Um, but they were a thing anyway. Thank you for being here, Samantha. Yes. Thank you. Okay. And we will return. 